0: I think that'll be good because I think I have a different take on preventing relapse. Right. So if you had to define it, what is a relapse? The fuck up. Yeah. Is, it, is there a difference between a relapse and a lapse? A lapse and a mistake. Yeah, but what who you ask?
1: I mean, a relapse, some people, people don't accept the idea that somebody who is an abuser of a substance could abuse that substance for one day, and that's anything different than a relapse. Although some people think they are. Different. You know, falling off the wagon for an extended period of time is a relapse, whereas if it's just an occasion, it isn't. So
0: I, mean, I think it really depends on who you ask. Right, and I think like what you're saying, it's really going to depend on what it is you believe. A lot of AA groups, you slip up, you have one drink, whatever, it is, just a sip of a beer. I mean, they give you your, des- your desired chip the next meeting. and oh, they, lying. Yeah, or that, yeah. But I think there is a pretty distinct difference between a lapse and a relapse. I don't know if we give ourselves enough room or enough credit sometimes, and I think if I believe if I have that one drink, it's a relapse, I get the case of the efforts the a lot quicker And then I'm losing a status, too. So I have a higher guilt, a higher shame, and a higher condemnation. Right? Like, man, I I just had 45 days or two years, and I had that drink, and I'm back to square one. I mean, that's discouraging. That's defeating. What what were you going to say? How would
2: you define the, the boundary between a lapse and a relapse? Because, like, on my one week out... I, I was looking for a little excuse to mm-hmm. go drink, and I, I did it once, which I would say is a lapse, but then further down the week, that that excuse became much smaller, like I was more accepting of a smaller excuse mm-hmm. to, to get back to it. So I don't know, I mean, two times of drinking, I don't know if that's a full relapse, but it. it I was noticing that... As time went on after that first one, it was becoming easier and easier for me to just blame something and get the evidence. Right.
0: So that's that violation of the conscience we were talking about, right? I did it. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. Now I'm condemned. And I don't need as much of an excuse as I did before because of how I'm feeling about it, right? I would say a huge difference between a lapse and a relapse would be, one, intentionality and motive. What is your intention and what is the motive? Like you said, I was already kind of looking. For an excuse, that means, and most people will tell you this: you typically relapse before you relapse. You've already determined it here before you actually act and have it take place. Right? Mm-hmm. Intention and motive are going to be huge in that because you found that place. You there's I think there to me there would be a difference between a moment of weakness catching yourself in it, saying, "Duh, I don't want that's not who I am." Like no, like I'm not doing this again. We've all made dumb mistakes where we, the next day were like, no. Uh-uh. Not again. We're not doing this. Right? But if I'm already planning it, and I'm already searching for it, like you said, I'm just finding a reasonable enough excuse to go ahead and participate what it is I've already predetermined and engaged in in my mind. I think that's a different thing. And like you said, you didn't sit down and get a piece of paper and write out my plan to relapse you know like that's not how we do it but we've already kind of like man and then we kind of start pushing ourselves towards that a little bit like like you're saying you find that reason that's big enough to initiate and then has it needs to be a lesser and lesser reason each time and then we get to the point of i can't stop and you don't need reasons after that that is the reason i can't stop right and i think that's when we finally say okay i've relapsed right but i think it already took place before the drinking ever occurred and this is kind of a hard thing to hear sometimes but for me it wasn't i didn't come to the determination of i can't drink anymore or i if i do this will happen it, i got to the point in my own mind to where it is no longer an option. It wasn't in the back burner of my mind. It wasn't the card up my sleeve. It wasn't the final piece that I could finally fall back on. I had to remove it from myself as a possibility. And I'm saying that only purely in mindset. Because of course I could, right? It's always there. But it, it, I think that really helped kind of prevent me from like having that in the back of my mind. As an option in some way shape or form Like You weren't going to give me a reason big enough It's not one of my Plan of action all the options I could possibly do I just eliminated that as A part And I'm not saying that happened overnight by any means At all Again growing to that point To where like no, It's like Using was going to kill me So instead of that I'd rather die I'd rather die than use because using is going to kill me. So I'd rather fight to the death rather than, you know, give in to the death. It's what I was kind of said yesterday, getting stubborn in kind of an opposite way. Relapse prevention. Then, so you all said you talked about triggers a lot. All the things in our environment, all the things in our thinking, all the things on, you know, that we might see on TV, the people we might interact with triggers being a cause of relapse, right? Do you think triggers are a cause?
1: I think it's kind of circumstantial. Sometimes it's like a retroactive excuse. Um, You know, I mean, you may wake up the next day and try and find justification for why you relapsed or lapsed and and go back and look for, okay, well, what things happened yesterday that I could... In the forward-looking mm-hmm. way, triggers. I think. Um, I mean, I think there's still just kind of justification, right? I mean, it's hard to justify uh, relapsing if everything's perfect. You know, if, if you're on vacation and uh, you know you're in a perfect place, with the perfect people, doing the perfect things. Why would you drink there? And. I mean, depending on how committed you are to it, you still will find a way. And
0: in the same way, you're like, you know what, it would be really nice. Just have a little, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to challenge our thinking a little bit, okay? Because there is a big mindset, especially in the recovery community, that triggers. We Not saying that they are, but we talk about them as, like, potential causations, right? Because I was so triggered. How many of you have ever been triggered... Irritated, angry enough to punch someone in the face, and didn't. This week, <laughs> <laughs> in the last forty-five minutes, I'm <laughs> or tempted to go and get an item that is obviously out of your budget, so you didn't. I'm dead. So you
1: usually get it anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> but the point being, and this is where I'm going to challenge your thought a little bit because this comes down to beliefs. What is the difference between the triggers? You still had the desire to do something and act on something, it did not. It's exactly the same. Why do we elevate one? Well,
1: in the example, I mean there's a binary aspect to it, right? Either something is affordable according to your budget or it's not. there is no in between, you can't mm-hmm. necessarily wait it out. Um, whereas in the in the anger violence scenario you know that's a typically a pretty gradual thing mm-hmm.
0: where you build this kind of bed mm-hmm. of anger before you reach this point where you just can't right. contain it, it can for, yourself. for <laughs> me
1: like uh, substance related triggers are way easier to deal with than like traumatic related triggers if that makes sense
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense but the idea that I'm presenting is wh- why do we give things such prominence over other things when if you step back and you look at them as what they are, which are triggers, whether it be a traumatic trigger, whether it be anger, whether it be using, objectively, looking through a wider lens, they're the same. They're just, some, they're just things that provoke us. So why do we add so much emphasis to these ones or those ones, but the other ones we have no problem dealing with when we deal with them all the time? Some may have Okay, so with that, what would be the issue? The trigger or how it is we've chosen to cope? Yeah. I want to take some of the pressure off of you of watching every trigger that there is because you do not know all of them and you will never know all of them. You will think, okay, I don't watch TV anymore. I don't go anywhere, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you might catch a familiar scent. And you had no idea that was a trigger. What I don't want to see happen with all of you is that that gives me reason enough. We tend to make these triggers reason enough. And then if I'm triggered, right, now I'm, I'm getting those feelings, right, and I'm getting, that, I'm getting a little uh, antsy, I'm getting some urges. And then what do we do? Everything else goes away. We only see one thing. And the reason I believe we do that is because of the prominence we've given that trigger or that activity or that coping mechanism or plainly enough just how we feel in the moment. Because I don't think relapse prevention and it's preventing a relapse that triggers are important, but I don't know if they're important in the way that we present them. Because remember, the more we're thinking of of, of trying not to use, the more we're thinking about actually using. The more it's in the forefront of your mind, the more it's in front of your face all the time. And if I'm running around trying to avoid triggers, I'm literally asking to be overwhelmed. And if we're honest, a lot of us fall back into using because of that aspect of being overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Whether it be by a traumatic experience, whether it be by stress at work, or whether it be because I'm just noticing every trigger that I've ever had. And it's hard to live that way. You're at capacity all the time. Your senses and everything are you know, on fire, so to speak, right? It's really hard to move away from that because everywhere you turn, there's, there's something right around the corner. And you're always on the lookout. You never get to rest. Rest. I agree with being diligent all the time, but we can't be, like, paranoid all the time, right? Because that's not good. That's not good for us. We don't do that with anything else. That possibility of that death is just right around the corner for all of us. It's just as much a reality. But we're not sitting here thinking about that. We're not wrapping ourselves up in bubble wrap and staying inside with our helmets on. right so they're building blocks of decision making i'm basing my decision off of these triggers and how they make me feel now we have to decide what we're going to do with how we're made to feel Because like just with the scenario where you're really angry and you really want to hit that guy and you don't because in some way, shape, form or fashion, you have self-control or self-restraint, whether that be you you don't want the consequences or, you know, I'm really just, I don't like to fight, you know, whatever the reason might be, we have that restraint because there's something within that trigger that's still more important. There's a value that trumps it, right? Right. And I think kind of um, what you were saying is when we make those excuses and we, and we give in, we dirty our conscience further and further and we give ourselves more and more allowance, that's when we hit those triggers.
2: Yeah, I feel like I just lost the mental battle right out of the gate. And right. Once I lost the mental battle, the physical battle was soon to come.
0: So how were, how were you – describe to me how you, like, you were feeling in, like, when you – because obviously we're aware when we're going downhill mentally we we don't stop and necessarily think about it but we're like we kind of know right
2: yeah it was it's something i'm definitely working through with with trisha um but (laughs) what happened is is one like fresh out of here uh my family who none of them have experienced addiction or anything like that they're just constantly bombarding me with questions and every like whenever i would ride to the store with my mom like constantly asking me about cravings, and do I feel like drinking, and, and how does this feel, and how do you deal with this, and the same thing with, with the fiancé, and it's, it was just one of those things where it, it's just a constant, I'm having to think about it, because I'm constantly being asked questions, and the more I thought about it, then I was like, man, that really sounds good, and then I started looking for the excuse,
0: and the excuse was being umbrella I'm smothered, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, was that, was that, yeah. would that be a correct way to say it? Do you, yeah. would you say that you were discouraged?
2: Uh, I was discouraged because I felt like everything I'd, I'd taken out of here just kind of, it felt like it just went out the window quick.
0: So you, you met the rock in the hard place. Yeah. The unstoppable force and the unmovable object. Yeah. I don't know how to deal with this, the people being on my back and asking me questions and all that. And I can't deal with that, which means I can't avoid this. Because that, like um like he was saying, that coping mechanism. I haven't figure out a way to deal with this and a lot of that to me something i think you could be proactive and now is laying out those boundaries before you get home
2: that's what i'm working on this time yeah
0: and 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 having the freedom to be like i understand you're curious and you don't really understand you don't know and you're worried about me and you love me and i really appreciate it but i'm feeling a little overwhelmed can i have can i have some space like i'm not going to leave the house or whatever like but I need a minute. I need to chill. My senses are overwhelmed right now. I, I ugh. give me a minute, you there's, know. There was a reacclimation coming from
2: here, where it's it's easier to deal with cravings because there's no. I mean, it's it's pretty hard for me to to get any kind of alcohol in here, so it's easier to fight the cravings. But uh, I, I needed kind of that buffer time of reacclimating to to being faced with those opportunities and, right. and dealing with them mentally and using the skills I've taken from here. And I just felt like I never had that that area of reacclimation before everything just kind of came down on top of me.
0: Right. Has, hey, has anyone else experienced that, that it's way easier to just chill and fight cravings and all that while you're here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you can't,
3: you can't, there's no plug in, you know
1: saying, you want some more, it's not around you, there's no way to get to it. It takes a lot.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, that and and here, it's just not an option. You can't just like open a cabinet. Yeah,
3: we're constantly just working on ourselves, we're constantly talking about relapse you know, prevention, anything that can help us with staying away from the drugs we're out there. We tend to go back our old habits and just. Working.
0: So, in here, you're saying you have a heightened focus towards recovery. sobriety, recovery, doing better. making amends with family and building your relationships back. And then you get out there, and uh, as a lot of us learned really quickly, the focus has to expand. So could we say that maybe triggers are focus-oriented and focus-distracting? Right.
3: I stayed out of trouble and got to the little habits, but then I went back to my exact old habits and eventually it led to me being overconfident and giving myself permission to just use one time reality stuff Right. one
0: time. So what drives focus?
3: Attention?
0: Attention? Mm-hmm. Well have to be determined, right? Yeah, that's just, it's, it's, determination will drive your focus. And then we have to ask ourselves in all these scenarios, what is it that we've determined to do? Have we determined to just give it a shot and see how it goes and hopefully we can do it? Because sometimes we'll hear that mindset like, oh, I'm good. Like, I mean, yeah, we can do this. And then something then comes and it grabs your attention, whether it be a trigger, a person, uh, an environment, a scenario, Whatever and we're looking at our goal and then we go oh look over here and what happens if our focus changes what also changes with it our determination i've determined something else and like we discussed, relapse normally happens before it happens. I've already made a different determination, and now my focus is geared towards that. And, I, and if you stay determined and you stay focused, you usually reach your goal. And that's why we're pretty good at relapsing, because we have, we're pretty damn determined. <laughs> exactly. So I'm, I'm, I hope this is, I'm presenting this in, a, in an okay way, because I don't want you just running and hiding and fearful of every trigger that there is we have a lot to do with how much power a trigger has. And I don't want us living in that excusatory place of there's just too many triggers. Like, you're better than that. We're worth more than that. You're not that easily manipulated. Right? It's our, <laughs> right, it's our agreement in those things. It's, it's our slow movement towards those things or even leaving them available as an option just allows it to slowly... It's like that... Ex- That ex you don't ever call until you're hammered. I ain't talking to her. I don't like her. But then you're drunk. You're like, hey, baby. You up? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's the same kind of deal. It's romancing your addiction. It's the hopes that maybe it'll be better or different this time. Or we have a guy that comes and speaks every once in a while. And he always talks about, I just needed some relief. If I can, that, that's where I think that one time deal comes in. I can just use one time because that desperate need of relief, that need of comfort. Do you understand what it is we will sell to be comfortable?
1: Sold. <laughs> Everything,
0: like, especially in our Western culture, like being comfortable is like next to none. Like we have a value to remain comfortable at all costs. That's why we don't deal with pain that much. That's why trauma is so difficult. That's why emotional pain, and, and when we're driving ourselves crazy mentally, it's, we have to leave comfort to battle those things out.
1: And yeah, then, I mean, most of the comfortable or uncomfortable things that I run into are normally related to somebody else, right? I mean... The things in my life that I have deemed as uncomfortable, I've at least processed. You know, mm-hmm. and I have some level like, of understanding of why it happened and how it made me feel, and all of that. But when somebody else's stuff comes up, you know, that causes me discomfort. Like, you know, I'll give you an example. So, the first time that I went to a new AA group, this was many, many months ago. So it wasn't right before I walked in the door here, but you know, I went to the new AA group, sat there, several people shared parts of their story or whatever, and, you know, I got a, a new, you know, packet or whatever with people's phone numbers and stuff, the people that wanted to share it, and, and I wasn't thinking about anything except the context and content of the meeting. I went outside, and I got in my car, and I drove home and stopped at the liquor store on the way home, because it was, I mean, it was so subconscious that it was, I, I didn't even feel like there was any premeditation to it. Like it was, like, oh, hey, uh, you know, and in, in hindsight, you know, I was struggling with trying to consume the details of these other people's experience, which is part of the reason why you do it, right? Mm-hmm. But it was painful. It was uncomfortable. And, you know, some of the things you hear other people say, whether it's here or in any other kind of group outside are, they're difficult to take. And your, your individual purpose there is to, you know, not just stay sober, but find more effective and meaningful ways to stay sober. Exactly. And part of that yeah. is learning from mm-hmm. somebody else's experience. And it's kind of like this vicious cycle where you're, you go to hear other people talk, but hearing other people talk is a trigger on its you own. Know?
0: Right. So this is a really big, unknown trigger for a lot of people. Compassion. Why? We are afraid to care a lot of the time. Why, are we, why would someone be afraid to care? Because it requires something from us. We have to care at our own expense, right? And that terrifies a lot of us because we've been, especially in our culture, we've been taught like, you know, you just, you just do you. You take care of you first, and maybe if you're good, you can care for someone else. But we're human. We can't help but care. And that frightens us. What, I don't get, what if I help this person? We get too close and we start freaking out and all the random possible scenarios that'll never take place, you know? And that's a big one. You walk in, you're like, man, that guy's story like breaks my heart. It makes me uncomfortable because I have this urge and this desire, which you could call a trigger, to help. But we deny the snot out of that quick. But the other one that came up about it because it's, I believe it's easier to not feel than to feel, to not care than to care. But using doesn't make any of those things go away. It exacerbates them. It makes them worse. It actually heightens them because then your conscience isn't clear because you know you should have done something good and you didn't do it, and you're blaming yourself and guilty in your own inaction.
2: You it's easier not to care than to
0: care. That's what we believe. Yeah. Because it doesn't, it doesn't require as much. It's me protecting me, right? Because remember, especially in addiction, it's all about me. It's protecting me, taking care of me at all costs. And I'm going to do everything to make sure my flesh is comfy cozy at the expense of my emotions, at the expense of my mind, at the expense of my body, at the expense of my finances, at the expense of my relationships. As long as I'm not feeling those things, I would prefer not to feel. And that's, the, that's what we tell ourselves, right? The catch-22 is, is all the things you're trying not to feel are the very things that you're constantly living in. And they get bigger, and they get bigger, and they get bigger. And they get more and more daunting, and you start to feel more and more overwhelmed all of the time. And use increases accordingly. One night stands, all that stuff increase accordingly. It's all efforts to numb, it's all efforts to feel good when I don't feel good, because if I can just feel good, then I'll feel good, but I never feel good enough to feel good, because I won't deal with the things that are making me feel bad.: Can you: I don't know what I say. podcast <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, it's, I so desperately want to feel good, so I negate all the things that make me feel bad, but the things that are making me feel bad are, not, are the very things that aren't allowing me to feel good. Right? Like, I am protecting poison. I'm keeping the decay, the rot, all the nasty stuff I would prefer not to feel, I'm the one keeping it alive. And allowing it to grow and spread and fester. Just saying, if I could just do this, I could just do that. Oh man, if I could just have that car, I could just have that house, I could just have that woman or that man or this drug or then I'll finally have that happy in it, but it's never ever enough. Because I'm refusing to deal with the things that make me feel the opposite. And if you've ever sat there and battled yourself on some stuff and gotten through some stuff, you understand that you, you can fight it out. You can take some punches. But we always feel like we have this emotional glass jaw to where if I take one hit emotionally, I'm going to shatter and I'm going to die. But if you've ever dealt with anything, you know you, you can take some punches. You can roll with it for a while. So I figured that out because I was a coward, man. I ran from everything. That was... I was running. For me, not everybody's running that way. I was running. I didn't like me. I was trying to get away from me. Everyone else reminded me of me. All the feelings reminded me of me, and I didn't like me, and I was trying to get away from me, right? I could get drunk and not be me for, you know, two and a half hours before I fell over and then wake up me again. Damn, right? I was running, 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 running. Then I... As I grew and I matured and I was really... My desires and what I wanted for myself began to gradually change. My self-worth was improving. My self-esteem was a worth, it was improving and all those types of things. I slowly started to turn around. Okay, maybe I'll fight a little. Bop, bop, take a few, right? Oh, crap, this ain't fun. Turn and run again. Okay, let's try again doing... Maybe, you know, next time I throw a few back. You know, get my butt handed me again try to run. And then eventually I just... If I'm gonna take licks, I'm just gonna take them. Let's see where this ends. I'm so tired of getting hit and running, and then getting hit again, I'm just gonna take the hits and see what happens. And then I figured out by the time that the thing hit me was exhausted, I was still standing. To where now it's grown to the point where I see something pop up in me that I don't like. We had that staring contest, and I'm gonna see which one of us is bluffing. I'm stubborn. I don't like things in me that make me less than me. I don't like things in me that are detrimental to people around me. I don't like it. And the only way I'm going to get through those things is by staring them down. And if there's a fight, we're going to have ourselves a fight. And sometimes you fight and there's still no answers. Stand up again. It's just that determination switched for me. I have to get away, I have to get away, I have to get away. Now it's, no, you have to get out of my way. I'm going this way, you're in the way you can move, or I'm going right through you. And that's how I treat my emotions. When they come up, I am very quick. I'm not perfect by any means, but I am quick to start my analysis of whether that needs to be there or not. Is that helping me, or is it not helping me? Sometimes it is, and sometimes it ain't. Sometimes I'm I'm butthurt and in a bad mood and all pissed off for no good reason. And I have to check myself because I'll make I'll let that ruin my day and I can ruin your day real easy. Real easy, I'm really good at it. That's why I try not to do it. I under, I will look back in my wake and saw my destruction and realize how good I am at destroying everything. Like, there are people alive today that would have been better off had they not met me. And that's who I was. I came, I showed up to use you. That's what I did. And I was extremely proficient at it. So I look back at that kind of stuff. I don't want to do that. I don't like that. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt me either. So I don't have any choices anymore other than try to deal with this out and try to improve those things or even get rid of those things. And that's the journey I set out to do. My relationship with God helped me do that because I began to see things that I didn't see before. I started to see how how a good, a righteous man should live. I wanted to attain those things. I wanted to be found in that because I didn't want to hurt people. I wasn't out to get rich. I wasn't out to do any of that. I I simply was like, I finally want to be in a place to where I'm just not a toxic cesspool to everyone around me. That's what I wanted. I didn't want to be a coward anymore. I was, You know how exhausted it is to just be afraid all the time about everything? Eliminate your own voice and your own influence because you're so afraid to speak up because someone might look at you a little different and your whole self-esteem goes away with that one look that's how I lived so I avoided everything like we try to avoid triggers I I had to speak perfectly I had to make sure to say everything a certain way to where I didn't hurt your feelings or make you upset at me in some way because if you weren't okay then I wasn't okay you had to be okay for me to even begin to be okay it's that people pleaser mentality I had it bad real bad I had no identity in myself at all. I was only as good as I thought you saw me. And I'm dealing with other people just like me and their opinions change on a dime. (laughs) It's a terrible way to live. You're just subjected. You're just the product of how other people feel. And all of their opinions, opinions I didn't even know, determined me. They were my own self-projected opinions. I let all those things determine who it is that I was and how I was going to behave and act and all the things I was going to do, I was going to hang out with, watch, listen to, all that kind of stuff. Because I didn't, I couldn't stand up and be me. Because I was so afraid. And guess what? I lost focus. I lost any type of determination, which I didn't have much to begin with as a young man. So it wasn't easy to uh, knock me right down on my butt, right? Fairly easy act to complete. But going through stuff like that, now stuff wants to come and challenge that. and most, Something will happen or someone will say something and I'll have that sense of inferiority. Uh-uh. We ain't doing that. I will not go back. You have to kill me. I won't do it. I won't go back. Because that's, that, that that's worse than the drinking or the drugs ever was. Probably why we live in our addiction, because those things are much worse. And I've said this before, but the, one of the hardest days of my life is when I, I realized some of this stuff and how I treated me. What I actually thought of myself broke my heart. So much so that I said, not again, no more. My focus, my determination changed. I went to God. I finally asked for help. I I stepped out of my arrogance. All my fear produced this arrogance into me where I couldn't approach God. So I finally humbled myself just enough to say, I need help. I don't know. I don't understand. I can't do this. I don't, I don't, I was never suicidal, to the, but I, I, I did not care if I woke up. I said, Lord, I don't want those things. And a process started for me. And every time I found myself getting distracted, this is why I always tell you not to beat yourself up, because the first little while I would beat myself up for getting just a little bit off course. And it would just put me so much farther back. Or then I'd be like, okay, now I'm learning all the things that distract me. Just like your feelings, I think triggers can show us what's distracting. Feelings show us, I feel this way because of something. I need to figure out the something rather than just attack the feeling or agree with the feeling. I think triggers are the same way. They're showing me what has my attention And then I can ask, why does that have my attention? And I can begin to assess those things. And I can determine whether that is something I would prefer to have within myself or not. But I'm going to have to go through some pain and some discomfort in order to grow. I'm just going to tell you all this right now, as honestly as I can. There is no growth without discomfort. It's just not there. Because to remain comfortable as you are now is to remain the same as you are now. Remaining the same is exactly what we're not trying to do, right? So, my advice learn how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. So, I've used this analogy before. It's been a while, you're out of shape, you're tired of the way you look, you're tired of how you feel, you don't want to be tired, so you're like, you know what, I'm going to go to the gym, right? The first three, four weeks of the gym, if you haven't been in years, sucks. Sucks. You're tired, you don't want to do it, you're sore, you don't want to be sore because it hurts and blah, blah, blah. But you'll notice a year in, two years in, when it's a part of your routine, you miss a couple days in the gym and you don't feel sore, you miss it. Why? Because it's proof of your progress. The pain you didn't want to embrace at first is now the only evidence you have of that you're still going. And you miss being sore, the breaking down, the tearing of things to build up better, newer, stronger things. And when then that starts to get out of your routine and you start to feel like you're missing something because you're not having that proof of your progress anymore in fact now you're gathering evidence of something else you start to feel like you're moving backwards you feel like you're stuck before you feel like you're moving backwards and sometimes we're stuck simply because we just won't get up and go to the gym so to speak And then we feel guilty and ashamed and condemned in our inaction. The fact that we are not participating in the things we know we should be participating in. Which makes us feel worse and worse. And then we start participating in things that we shouldn't participate in. And our conscience is defiled in a completely different way all at the same time. Does that make sense? And then you're you're sitting there like, where's that burn? Where's that soreness that I used to have? Why don't I have any anymore? Where did how come I can't get it now? And you're still not getting up and getting your butt to the gym. You're just mad that you don't have it anymore without doing anything. Because I feel like I can't, because now I'm doing all this stuff. I can't I can't just go and do the right thing all of a sudden now. And that's that mental gymnastics. And instead of thinking about it too long, we just Good, 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 good. Because now I'm, un- I'm uncomfortable with that thought because I know what I'm not doing, and I know the pain that's going to come with reinitiating. I'm going to have to go back to the gym and get sore all over again. Even though I terribly miss that proof of progress. Like you were saying yesterday about your past, the pain is a teacher if you let it be. We treat it like a reminder instead of a teacher. Because I feel bad about something I did. I can't possibly move forward with this. And that's you defeating yourself. Because we simply won't inter- entertain the idea that maybe, maybe I can. Maybe I can. Maybe I can be someone else. Maybe I can move forward. I don't know how this trauma and stuff, how that's all going to work out. But you know what? I can give it a shot. And guess what? If you try and you fail, you're exactly where you are now and nothing changed. But if you don't try, you're just filling yourself up with more regret. More shame, more guilt, more inaction, condemning yourself further. I believe really strongly in permission. So I just want you all to know that you have permission to be free. Like you can do it. Like you can't. No one's ever told you that you can just be free. You're going to be free to an extent is what they've taught us. Free with some conditions. No, you can be free. Not a single person around who gets to tell you how you get to do that either. Because their experience proves differently, prove them wrong. If you try and nothing happens, congratulations. The worst thing that could happen was nothing. It's that idea of like, if I try, I'll fail. You'll have some satisfaction in the fact that you tried. You're building up new evidence for yourself. I can. I I tried that time. I, I, I did some things wrong. That's that pain becomes that teacher now. Maybe I'll try again and I won't do those things that hurt me the last time. Get a little bit further. Learn some more. Then there's kind of a thrill that comes with it. How far can I go? How good can it get? Because this is significantly better than it used to be. How good can it be? You know, people around you, well, no one's ever truly happy. I'm like, sounds like you're not happy. <laughs> I don't believe someone can just be joyful all the time. And that's why you're not. You don't believe that you can be joyful all because you believe you can't be joyful all the time, so you don't experience I'm not saying you'll be joyful all the time, but who gets to tell you that you can't be? And what's stopping you from figuring, figuring out if you can be? See where we let so much other things prevent us? We're, we're big in it. We're big preventers of ourselves. But there's other mindsets and things out there that have determined some things, and we just happen to believe it without ever stepping foot in that pond. And we've received their determination for our own. So we take what they
1: think, the they and we determine that and make
3: it ours. Right. So,
0: like, again, I don't have anything against AA, but the once an addict, always an addict, they don't get to determine that for me. That's been their experience and however many other people's experience, awesome. You don't get to determine that for me. If I come to that determination, it's because I figured it out myself. myself. So do you think that maybe we're limited in accordance to what it is we believe? That glass ceiling I'm talking about? I can never be that good. I can never be like that guy or that person. We watch those inspirational guys that, you know, they lived in the gutter and like all of a sudden now they're like, speaking all over the country and stuff like, oh, that's awesome, man, but uh, yeah, but I could never do that. Well, now you're never even going to try. Because you can't, so you're, if you don't believe you can, you're definitely not going to put the effort in. If it's possible, there's hope, and hope... It's yeah, it is. And it brings a lot of determination with it. And if, I mean, think about it. There's lots of times when we know we, we could have not had that drink or not used. We knew we had the ability and the wherewithal within us at the moment to be like, no, and we didn't. Not because we were feeling too bad or anything at the time, just because we weren't rooted in a sense of hope. Hope will ground you. It will root you so deeply deeply That stuff comes and tries to knock you over, but I have hope. I'm going to stick this out to see my hope fulfilled. Right? And that's when all those things start to buzz around you all those triggers, all the reminders of those past traumas they all start buzzing around your head like flies. Because they don't want you to be rooted and grounded, they want you on the run and discovering as little as possible because that's how they maintain their power and their status. They put you back on their little leash and say, come on. It's time to run. So I don't know. I think we just put, we put a lot of stock in things. I don't think we have a, we should put as much stock in. I think they're important and they, they, play a role in all of this just like everything else but maybe we've elevated things a little too high and maybe we believe some things for ourselves that we haven't allowed ourselves to think that we actually believe because that's a hard day that's, that's tough self-realization right there that's that cognitive dissonance yeah where some, an, a new idea or discovering something challenges your current belief system to the point of actually being painful Mm-hmm. Yeah, within you. Yeah. Because if I believe this new thing that I've discovered or this new thing that I've heard, it's going to change so much and I can't remain the same if I believe this thing now, and you're torn and you reside to one or the other. And then you don't like the idea but then you can't kind of help but like keep looking at it and searching it out. That means you're probably a little bit more open to it. We're just like, oh, that's BS, and walk off. You know, that's not being very open-minded. Open-minded comes with a lot of dissonance, though. It, it, it is what it is. Again, you, in order to think, you have to risk being offended. You have to take offensive ideas and actually work through them to figure out if it is actually offensive or if you're just offended by it. Make sense? And if I'm just offended by it, I need to now discover why I'm offended by it because there might be something in me that it's letting me know something and I might need to deal with that thing. And so on and so forth. And that process for me has never ended and I don't think it will. It changes. And sometimes it's really big things and sometimes it's not that big of a deal you just check you're like oh okay well that's not that bad so how many of y'all are sick and tired of fighting for your life so how many of you want to start fighting for your life choose this day whom you will serve Maybe, maybe cure is the wrong word. Maybe heal is the proper terminology. And healing is painful. But it's so good. And you're so happy that you're healed once you are. get a big old cut and you have to get stitches, that thing hurts for freaking ever until it's finally starting to heal. And then, and guess what? Now you got some scar tissue and it's it's harder to hurt that area now. And it's kind of the same deal. You develop not a calloused heart, but a thicker skin. I can take more And not be affected. To where now we're brittle and thin-skinned and everything hurts. The idea is to heal so your body's nourished, your soul is nourished, and it can withstand some things. Going and working it out. Letting it build. Letting it get broken down so that it can rebuild. Giving it proper nutrition. All the vitamins, all the things it needs, the proper influences ridding our our minds and our lifestyles of all these negative things. I'm I'm gonna tell y'all this right now. You can be mad at me all you want and I don't care. Stop listening to rap. Stop. Stop. Amen. Stop doing it. Right. It is not good for you. It is an influence that influences you stop watching gangster movies and, and you know the old crime bosses and things like blow like stop watching that crap yes stop doing it Hello. it is an unnecessary negative influence that you purposefully and willingly participate in wondering why your thoughts are the way they are when you're allowing things to influence your thoughts purposefully exposing yourself to triggers then want to go cry about triggers True. stop it alcoholics, stop listening to country music okay. fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you struggle with relationships I beg you don't listen to country music because it is the over idolization of relationships yeah, it will make you feel sad and lonely and that is exactly what it's designed to do And if you're like me, and you have to, don't listen to anything for a period of time. So you can, so you can take time to figure out where your own thoughts are at. <clears throat> if you have people in your life that are doing stuff you know they shouldn't be doing, if you keep them around or you stay around, you are purposefully allowing yourself to be influenced. Mm-hmm. So, but when you get healthy and you grow then you determine whether it is you're going to be influenced or be the influencer. Because when I'm healthy and I'm confident and I'm sure, I can come in and be an influence with way less risk of being influenced.
3: That was my issue. We I like, had one for instance, music. I thought I could influence him, but um, stop. But instead, it just built me back into
0: it. Mm-hmm. So those things are important. Those things aren't talked about very much. Go on a fast, fast media and music. Fast media, Sit in your room with your own thoughts. Write them down. Take some time to actually discover what it is you believe.
2: Isn't
0: it true that music helps though?
3: It can. It just on music, so it's,
0: if you want music, do an instrumental. Just do some instrumental. Do some ambient noises so where there's something because. Uh, that or, or just beats. Like, I like, really? I love rap. Just listen to the beat. Like I just listen to the song because of the beat. And I'm like, no, you'd be listening to the instrumental. So <laughs> rock. <laughs> classic, rock classic rock is full. It's nothing but into innu- windows put to music. <laughs> so
2: what would be the best to recovery? What would be like not the best,
1: but what would be the over the ideal like music?
0: Find music that is geared with the influence That you would prefer to have If, it's, if you're all about recovery Find music that's based and talks about recovery
2: Sure uh, Like Jelly Roll for instance I mean his, his is a lot about It's, it's rap, he does rap and singing But his is about recovery and stuff like that Right,
0: so But that's, if that's where you want your focus That's what you should listen to My focus was on God So that's what I let my influences be okay right and I know it's, but it's just like he was saying like at the beach the mood's right oh yeah and then I can just have one sometimes we get in that mode when we're listening to music or, and then that old school song comes on that you used to bang to now you're triggered out the wazoo and you don't know what to do with yourself and instead of switching it and doing something you go listen to the other song it reminds you of and, yeah. and we sit there and just uh relish it and and, and live it I will listen to songs all about prayers right why because once I listen to one song I'm only okay I start getting my Just listening to more songs about that shit. I'm just thinking about it
3: yeah
0: Right, we can have the idea of like, okay, I'm going to listen to that song, and I'm going to face it. But really, we're entertaining an idea. Yeah, for sure. It's it's speaking to my love sick heart, of my substance of choice that I so dearly miss. That's what it can be sometimes. That song that reminds you of that X that was super meaningful to you, like
3: country.
0: You know, I'm talking the Crown at 2001. That's my. I'm just saying. Reminds me of some things. Brings back some reminiscence. But that's, again, that's my advice. Find how it is you would prefer to be influenced, where you want your focus to be, and then listen and watch things that are related to that. Rather than just like, I really don't want to use perks, and then listen to songs about perks. <laughs> it's, you're working against yourself very actively. In songs, you'll figure out like you'll have that thought like, oh, I don't want to do that, and all of a sudden, a song about it will pop into your head. Ooh, there's some influence trying to get in.
2: Yeah,
0: wants you to be as little. Yeah, yeah, that's what he wants. That's I mean, but that's what it wants. It wants your flashback. It wants you to be with it again powerless against it again right and we walk up like oh I've never seen this before oh it got me find ourselves like we didn't strap the cuffs on ourselves